But anyway, hey, uh, I know you've already been welcome, but let me do it again. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. If you're online, uh, make a comment or something so we'll know you're there and uh, so you can be a part of what's going on. It's good to see you guys today. Next Sunday, of course, we're going to two services. So you have to make a decision over the next seven days. For some of you, it's already made. For some of you, you won't make it till a week after. <laughs> some of you will show up next Sunday at 10 o'clock going, this is weird and uh, everything's out of sync. And so let me help you sync up. Uh, the first service will be at 9 a.m. That means if you come to the first service at 9 a.m., you can do brunch with a friend afterwards. Doesn't that sound good? All right. Okay, you're like, no, I'm non-committal. I'm not committing. I don't know. Nine o'clock on Sunday doesn't actually exist. Only 9 p.m. on Sunday exists. I understand. And then uh, if you have children, then our children's ministry will fire off at the 1030 service. So if you show up at 10 next Sunday, it'll be great. You'll get to spend some time with me. We'll talk. We'll chat. But it's going to be a little awkward, which might be good for you. I, I don't know. We'll see. I love awkward, so I'm, I'm, I embrace the awkward. So I should have like a shirt. All right, so uh, there you go. You have been forewarned. I hope that works out well for you. We are jumping into our last message on our series, House of Worship. Um, you know, I, I know I sound like a crazy person sometimes, and this is one of those times I, I feel like a, a crazy person, and it's this. I love what we get to do here on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> but I, I think that there's probably an expiration date on getting to do church like this. And if that day comes, and I hope it doesn't, but if it does, I want us to be ready. And I want us to be prepared to be the church. And I actually like us to start being the church before then. So that's what this series is about. We've already talked about worship and how we define worship was as, that is an active and aggressive principle in which we are declaring Jesus Christ Lord over a moment. So when we did that, we took worship out of the idea of singing and even out of the idea of Bible study, and we began to nestle the idea of worship and declaring Jesus as Lord over moments in our life, as many as possible. Last week, we talked a bit about community, and we drove into the idea of love and sacrifice. And we, we tried to wrestle the idea free, or at least get it floating in our minds, that we have to have a people around us who are people of faith and who are willing to sacrifice for that is a necessary thing for a person to be a part of Jesus' church. Today we're going to be talking about the mission of the church. And uh, I, I, I make, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I also have some very strong things we need to wrap our hearts around. And so I want to begin with an idea of communion. Now we're not doing communion today, but I want to demonstrate something. I've got some, uh, I think it's pronounced non, non? It's non-bread, so that means there's no gluten and it's non-bread, so I'm just kidding. You open up the package, you can, it smells delicious, so it has to have gluten in it. So anyway, <laughs> so uh, it's a flat piece of bread because when Jesus did communion, he did it with an unleavened bread. And I don't know if you've ever made an unleavened bread. We have, it's really ugly bread. I'm not kidding, it's just not pretty at all. I mean, when you see someone get up and they've got this beautiful loaf of bread and it's fluffy and it's split and you're like, yep, that's leavened. So uh, <clears throat> that's not that way. So Jesus in the Bible tells us about his broken body. Now bear with me for a second. I'm just going to demonstrate something. Um, and, and with the, anyway, I'm, I'm, let's jump in. Jesus said, Luke 22:19. 19, 
He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You remember that line? So Jesus took a, a, a piece of bread, and then he broke it. So he tore it. And he probably tore it maybe 12 times, maybe he just tore it two or three times and handed it to the disciples. And then maybe what they did was they tore it and shared it with the person next to them. But here's the thing out of this torn bread. What is Jesus saying this broken bread is to symbolize? His body. His body is broken. But then what does he do with his body? Does he just hold it together? He gives it away. He breaks his body and he gives it away. This is important. So, we find another passage in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four In the King James, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. So Jesus broke his body. Guys, I have a back injury right now, so I can't pick that up. So someone will have to get it for me later. I mean, I can pick it up, but then what happens afterwards is not attractive at all. It's like a worm dance on the floor, and you think the 80s came back. It's not pretty. <clears throat> So he broke his body, and he broke it for you, and he gave it to you. You're with me, right? This is very simple. Like, Michael, why are you overemphasizing this? Because I want you to see that his body is broken, and his body is broken to be given. When we break bread, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? So the church is the body of Christ. Jesus is breaking his body, and he's giving it away. Now, you're like, Michael, where are you going? You ever ask yourself the question, why are there so many denominations? Nod, yes, no. Why are there so many churches? Where I come from, there's literally a church on every corner. They're all the same church, it doesn't matter, but still, there's literally a church on every corner, okay? Um, so if you've ever asked yourself a question, here's, here's the answer. Jesus breaks his body into smaller and smaller pieces and sends it out into the world. See, here's what Paul writes in Ephesians. The church is his body. So if Jesus sat there in front of his disciples and he broke bread and said, this is my body. And now we come to Paul's teachings. We've come through communion. We've had you know, decades of communion by the time Paul writes Ephesians. And now he's telling us that we are his body. Why do we think that Jesus stopped breaking his body, and giving it away. You see, communion is a principle of how Jesus shares his body into the world. Because he took his body and broke it and gave it to me. And then I'm part of his body and I break a piece and I give it to someone else. Jesus' church grows through its brokenness, not in spite of it. It grows through its brokenness. In fact, the parts of you that are broken, you're sitting here right now, and you've, you've probably insulted yourselves this week and argued with God about yourself and you, about those broken places, and I'm here to tell you that the brokenness within you is what makes the body of Christ spread out into the world. I like to work with wood. I'm not good with working with wood, but I like wood because it's obedient. 
not like my kids or people, you know. I, that, and that's when I got started with wood. Many years ago, I was pastoring a church and nobody would listen to me, which was par for the course. I really wasn't worth listening to. But I remember working on some oak that someone had given to me. And I realized that when you sand oak, it gets smooth. If you sand people, they get mad. <laughs> so I like working with wood. But you know, you take a, two 45s and you try and miter two boards together that are cutting 45 degrees. That is not going to be a strong joint. But if you cut a spline in it, or if you cut a notch in it in one side and an an extension on the other side, and then you glue it together, and you have enough surface there, enough broken places in the wood for the glue to adhere to, you'll make a strong joint. What I'm trying to say is, is that it's our brokenness that one, sends us out and shares the body of Christ. And two, it's our brokenness that is actually our strength. Whatever's broken in you, God is going to use to proclaim Himself through. You with me? That sound good? If I were you, I'd probably say, wow, amen, that's pretty good because I am one broken dude. There's plenty of opportunity for God to do something with all this brokenness, okay? And so I want you to embrace that. This is really important when we come to the church, though, because some of you, I mean, it, you struggle with where you are, where you fit in. And I just want you to know this is, this is how God works. You're not the exception. You're not an outsider. If you feel like there's no place that you fit, that's a lie, it is our brokenness that works with each other. One of my, a passage I like, I love the book of James. Pastor Michael really loves the book of James too, and he talks about it a lot. But in the, there's, a, there's a verse in James 1, I'm going to read it out of the message because I love the way that the message paraphrases James 1.1. 1, 1. James writes, he says, I, James, a slave of God, and, and the master Je- I'm a slave of God and the master Jesus, writing to the twelve tribes scattered to kingdom come. Hello! (laughs) That's exactly how it's written. He's like, Michael, why do you like that? Okay, so James wrote this, obviously before he was uh, martyred. (laughs) So there had been a persecution that started with Stephen out of Jerusalem, and all these Christians, these Jewish Christians, or or Hellenistic uh, Jews, began to push out in the world. They fled Jerusalem. And what God was doing was he was breaking the body of Christ. And sending them out. They were scattered. Now, why do I love the messages translation? Because scattered to kingdom come is exactly why they were scattered. They were sent out to bring in a new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. You do realize that just being a Christian who's declared Jesus as Lord over your life and living according to his principles and commands makes you a revolutionary because you are bringing into the world an entirely new kingdom that opposes every kingdom on earth. You know that, right? That should make you feel better about whatever you're worried about politically today. Your, Your whole point is we're bringing Jesus into the world and Jesus pushes evil out. That's why they don't want him here. Oh, by the way, just so you know, okay? So we see James talk about these people scattered for kingdom come, and that's what it is. So one more time, I want to show you a passage out of Acts. Acts 11 rocked my world. I was uh, a, I grew up a fundamental, independent fundamental, dislike everyone else Baptist, <clears throat> all right? And then I became a Southern Baptist, which is a couple shades lighter Baptist. And... Um, <clears throat> 
when I first started ministry. And, and so I was a pastor in Missouri, which is the buckle of the Bible Belt. And then God called me into church planting or missions. And when I started planting churches, I, or I was going to move into planting churches, I said, God, I, I really want to know how you do this. So I got into the book of Acts. Because if you want to know how God plants churches, it seems like that's the book to go to, right? So I spent a couple years teaching through the book of Acts. And the main reason I did is so I could learn the book of Acts. And then I had this epiphany one day in Acts chapter 11. And I'm going to read it to you. And I'll, 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 show you what, I'll tell you what I saw. Meanwhile, the believers who'd been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And they preached the word of God, but only to Jews. So follow me. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. What are you saying? This is the start of the church at Antioch in Acts 11. Do you want to know the most influential church in the New Testament? The church that launched the mission efforts that would impact you today? This church, the church at Antioch. Big deal, right? Do you know who planted this church? Me either. Nobody knows. Because what happened was, there was a persecution of Stephen, and all of these ordinary believers, hence the name ordinary faith, these ordinary believers began to scatter the broken body of Jesus because Jesus is breaking his body and giving it to Cyrene and giving it to Antioch. And so, just ordinary people. No, these aren't the apostles. These are just people like you or I. But they're the body of Christ. And so Jesus gives them to Antioch. And Antioch becomes a powerhouse for mission efforts that impacted the world today. And we have no idea who started that church. We know Paul ended up there supporting it and encouraging it, but we, we have no idea who started it. Why? They're the body of Christ, and there's power in the body of Christ, which we're going to look at here in just a minute. I just need you to see that your brokenness is what leads us into power, and this is critical to the body of Christ. So stop being ashamed of it. Stop being scared of it. Just submit it to Jesus and watch what Jesus can do with broken things. Now, I have a message that goes with this. And you're not going to believe it, but there are like three points. The first point is this. When we talk about the church and the mission of the church, the number one thing we have to remember, number one thing, is that the church belongs to Jesus. Say amen. amen. The church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to Michael. I get the, and I know what people mean well, and I'm not, if you ever said this to me, don't, don't feel self-conscious, but people often talk to me, oh, you're Michael, ordinary faith, that's your church, right? And I always want to be snarky. Say, no, that's Jesus' church, and if I told you the story of how it happened, you'd realize that I did everything wrong, okay? And so, uh, the church belongs to Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean to you and me? It means that you and me, we do not 
get to define church. We don't get to say what it is. There's a lot of people that do. You're like, man, church to me, maybe you like high church. And they begin to go through these, maybe you like casual church and informal church, and they begin to go through these preferences of what they think is church. And you all probably grew up in different traditions of church that are more comfortable to you, or they take you back home, or maybe during your formative years, or as you're a young adult and you begin to really step into your own faith, there are parts that really resonate with you and you like those parts. Well, here's the thing. You don't actually get to define church. You can't say church is a certain style of music, that it's stained glass, that it's an architecture, that it's liturgy. You can't say any of that stuff is church because none of that stuff's actually in the New Testament. Okay? And so Jesus is the one. The church belongs to him, and he gets to define what church is. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 18, we're going to look at Matthew 16, a couple of different translations to look at different points here. Jesus says, now I say to you that you are Peter. This is that that famous Peter-Jesus discussion when Peter just said, you're the Christ, and Uh, That was the Messiah, and then soon afterward comes, Jesus calls him the devil. So it just shows you how quick you can go from from saved to weird, you know. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, this is Jesus, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build the church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you... So he's given to Peter, I will give you, given to us, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So I just mainly think I want you to see here is that Jesus is the one who, who, who defines what church is. That church is all about Jesus and church will never be about you. It will never be about me. You see, it's one thing, and one of the things we do in ministry is we try and meet people at the point of their needs. But you've got to understand that meeting people at the point of their needs does not leave people in those needs, but guides them into a better way. The way, the truth, and the life. Who is Jesus? Okay? And so it can never be about us. And so whatever connects with you spiritually, whether it's music or messages or studying or hanging out with believers, whatever connects with you has got to be about Jesus because He's the one who started the church. He's the one who builds the church. He's the one who empowers the church. And He's the one who calls the church out for a purpose. You see, the the word church in the New Testament comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Ekklesia means called out assembly. And the the meaning of that is like if we had a, a town hall meeting to make a decision. You would be called out for a purpose. Okay? And that purpose isn't just to sit here together and, and do the church thing and carry on with our week. That purpose is more like a, like a huddle on a football field where we come together and we discuss the next play and then we go out and we execute that play. It's more like that. Does that, does that make sense? If anyone tackles somebody, we got to flip the camera around and catch that. I don't want to miss that, all right? 
So, the, the, so Jesus claimed the, the, define, the definition, he claimed the power, and he claimed the assembly. So, Jesus defined the church. What do we get to do with church? So I'm going to take you to a passage for some of you you're going to love and some of you are going to cringe a little bit. And I love both of those activities, so let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Because we, you gotta, you got to know this, guys. That Bible, it may seem thick to you, although it's quite smaller than any law that's been passed in recent history. <laughs> it's, a, it's a condensed book, okay? It's a condensed book about God. And so anything that's in it is critically important. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. These are the disciples. Jesus had left days before. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. This is when the Holy Spirit descended upon the church. It's a, it's a scene in the church that makes some of us nervous and excites others, okay? Don't let, it, don't let it scare you. But you need to see in it something important. One thing you should always ask God when you're reading the Bible is, what does this teach me about God? And this is a great place to ask that question. What does this teach me about God? These people had been praying, and now the Holy Spirit descends. We see a vision of flames of fire over their heads, and now people get up, and they start proclaiming Jesus. They're witnesses of Jesus. We know that based on Acts 1.8, that that was why the Holy Spirit would come. They're going to be a witness of Jesus, but they're doing it in different languages. Now, why would God do that? And I think, this is my opinion on this, and, and don't, you know, don't, don't, don't crucify me later. <clears throat> I mean, it is my Jesus. I guess it's okay. Anyway, the point is, here we see that God wants the message to, of the, the church, of Jesus, to be translated into every language and culture. You see? He wants everyone to hear the truth. And by the way, I, I think that's one of the missions of the church. Our job of the church is not just to proclaim Jesus. Like if, if I went down to Ecuador or, or down in Africa and I started preaching the gospel of Jesus in English on a street corner, or I began to try and go to places that didn't know English, but I began to tell them the gospel of Jesus in my language, that would seem like a wasted effort, wouldn't it? It, it didn't make sense. But my job as a missionary and your job as a, a witness of Christ is to make sure that you can share the gospel to people in, in a way that they can hear it. That's actually what the gift of tongues is about. It's what tongues is about here. It's about translating the witness of Jesus into every, so that it fills every nook and cranny of the darkness and fills it with light. Does that make sense? So this is Jesus' church. He, gets, he picks all these things. We do have a job to do. I'm going to come back to that job a little bit more in a minute. But before I, I, I go into the next rest of this message, let me remind you. Worship is where we started. Declaring Jesus over a moment. Communities where we went last week talked about people around you that you're willing to sacrifice for. And today we're talking about the mission of the church. The body of Jesus being broken and given to the world. Okay? So Jesus, the church belongs to Jesus. Second, the church is powerful. The church is powerful. And I think, I know we've forgotten this. 
And, and I know we don't have a, a lot of context, because what's happening in the church does not make it on the news. All right? It doesn't get published there. What's happening in the world, in the body of Christ, is, is not coming up to, to whatever point that it gets proclaimed on media in, in very many ways, okay? But you need to know the church is powerful. And here's how you need to know. Here's how you can know it. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, now the English Standard Version, I'll tell you, Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing stopping the church. This is why we, we want to be part of the church. It's why we want that to be declarers of the Lordship of Jesus and be in community because this is a powerful assembly that you are part of today. Nothing stops this assembly. Do you understand that? We're called, this church is powerful because it's filled with Jesus Christ. And so she will fulfill the mission. She will declare good news to the poor. She will set captives free. She will give sight to the blind. She will give freedom to the oppressed. That comes out of Luke chapter 4. She's going to overcome through the blood of the Lamb and the word of her testimony. So I want you to see something in your mind. I want you to imagine, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the bride of Christ, you're in the church, and Jesus is break, using your brokenness to give you away and to give the witness of Jesus away through you. So I want you to, to I want to borrow your imagination, and, and I, I want us to all stand, imagine a, a, a big hillside. You can even imagine like the Rock Springs Valley. They call that White Mountain, and they should call it Rock Hole. Because <laughs> that's not a mountain, that's just... A ditch we live in. I want you to see a big valley. And in that valley, in dressed in white, on white horses, these ripped, buffed people that look like warriors and soldiers, they're men and women, and they're you. They're you. Totally strong and bad to the bone, warriors dressed in white, shining. Each of you get cast a light. I want you to see it. But the valley shed in darkness. And in the middle of the valley, there's this... There's this stronghold, like a castle with walls around it, and it's painted black because I don't know why. But anyway, it's dark. So there's this, this prison of a stronghold down in the valley, and it's surrounded by this army dressed in white that is strong and powerful. That stronghold, Jesus is saying, cannot stand against the church. That when the church comes to set people free from that stronghold, the stronghold will have to release them. Like Jericho, when the church comes against their, that enemy that is imprisoning and keeping people locked in poverty and keeping them captive to sins, when the church comes against that, those walls come down. The church is powerful. I need you to see that because that's who you really are. When I call you warriors of Christ, that's who you really are. And you can't be beat. Why? Because you're the body of Christ and Christ can't be beat. Death tried to take him out and failed. You remember that, right? And so this is the body of Christ. The church is powerful. Now, another thing I want you to see is in verse 19. 
And, and this is a passage that we don't know what to do with, so let's do something with it today. Matthew 16, 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is handing Peter a principle, a principle that's going to be foundational for the church, because he just said to him, Peter... You're the rock, and on this rock, there was kind of a, a language nuance there. It, was, it seems like he was directing to himself. But on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and nothing's ever going to prevail. The gates of hell are never going to withstand the assaults of the church. And I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Michael, what do I do with that? Well... Here, I'm going to keep it real simple. That way I don't get, you know, like 37 theologians sending me nasty emails. How about this? How about your prayer starts being filled with language that binds things and looses things? That's pretty simple. I said, Michael, why would I do that? I don't know. Because Jesus said to? <laughs> right? Right? How does that fit uh, practically? Any of you, you don't have to raise your hands. Any of you struggle with money? Man, I spend so much more than I get. Do you do that? Cayman does? He, he spends so much more than I get. You ever heard of a spirit of poverty? You ever heard of a, a spirit of a destruction, a devourer? The Bible talks of a devourer. You know, you're, you're struggling and you're working and then, you know, every time you turn around, the next thing comes up and it, it, you plan to put a hundred bucks here and the water heater goes out and you have to have 200 bucks there and on it goes. Well, you know what? As a child of God, why don't you get with your community that you're willing to sacrifice for and why don't you pray about it? And as a community come together because where two or three are gathered there, I'm in the midst of them to gather in prayer, if two or more gather in prayer, why don't you bind the spirit of poverty? And release a spirit of blessing yes. and abundance. Okay? Say, so Michael, I don't think it'll work. You can, you can trust your own thoughts and your ideas, or you can start to learn what it means to live in the kingdom, and you can trust the words that Jesus said. That's right. Now you can say, Michael, I don't think it, it, what if it doesn't work? I'm sorry, how will you be any worse off? You know what? God may have another lesson for you. I know this. I, I don't know if God will, will deliver you from whatever circumstances that are wrecking your life right now. I don't know. I've seen, it do it, I've seen him do it a lot. In fact, we're going to have a testimony here in a minute where God has just done it recently. But he, I know this. You can trust God, especially when you have no idea what's going on. That's the best time to trust him. Okay? And by the way, if I could just be frank, it's not like you've got a lot of choices. Remember when you were a kid and your parents were like, you're going to school. Did you ever win that argument of not going to school? No, you went to school unless you really faked well that day. But it didn't. You got caught. God knows best. And so you can either trust him in peace or you can, you can be anxious with no peace and still go down the same road. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So... Jesus Christ, it's his church. The church is powerful, and we need to lean into that. And the church has a mission. The church has a mission. Do you guys remember the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah? So I know some of you do. Real quick, 
Uh, the angel of the Lord was coming through Abraham's neighborhood on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah to wipe them off the face of the earth because they were evil, okay? So Abraham went out and hung out with the, the angel of the Lord, uh, and, and he talked in God, or the, the angel of the Lord, which I believe was a pre-existent form of Christ, and there are those who'd argue with me, but it's, it's okay. Christians argue. It's kind of a thing we do. And, and, and uh, the angel of the Lord says, hey, should we tell Abraham what we're doing? And it's kind of like this conversation the angel's having with himself. You know, yeah, I should tell Abraham because the future is really dependent upon this guy. Because Jesus is coming from Abraham's family line, so it's really important. So he says, hey, Abraham, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. going to wipe him off the face of the earth. And then Abraham, because Abraham knows that God is good. And if you look at Abraham's life, that's quite a statement. That he was able to, to extract from the difficulties he faced the goodness of God. And so he knew that God was good and God was merciful, so he asked the angel. He said, hey, angel, uh, what if there's like 50 people there that are decent? They're like good people. And the angel said, you know what, if I get to town and I find 50 decent people, we will, not, we will not take these two towns off the map. So that's where it started. Abraham began to negotiate down, you know, and he got, he got the angel of the Lord down to 10. And he thought that would be enough. And so when, God, or when the, Lord, the angel of the Lord got there, the angels came to destroy the cities, leveled Sodom and Gomorrah, because there weren't 10 decent people in the town. Now, why did I tell you that story? That story set a precedent for the nation of Israel. And so by the time that the nation of Israel has come and then they've been taken into captivity, they developed this thing that, that basically church is based on today called the synagogue. And in order to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 men who were willing to be a part of it, or you couldn't actually form a congregation, a Jewish congregation, all right? That idea of 10 people came from this discussion between Abraham and, and the, the angel of the Lord. And what does this have to do with anything? Basically, in the Jewish mind, if you could find 10 people who honored God in a community, that was enough to keep evil at bay. 10 people. Does that make sense? And so that was, that was kind of an idea that put down there. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. God has a purpose, or God's purpose in all this was to use the church, the body of Christ, you, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church has a mission, and that mission is to display to the world, but not just the world, the supernatural world, the realm that has demons and demon princes in it. And if you're suddenly going, I don't know if I believe in that stuff. Again, we're back to a, dis a discussion about whether or not you believe Jesus or your own information. And Jesus tells us through the hand of Paul that, that God's purpose in this gathering, this church right here, and the, the, the smaller communities that come out of it, that its purpose is to display the wisdom of God in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently in God's presence. So Paul wants you and me to display God's wisdom. He wants to show all the demons and all the princes in the, in the darkness how awesome he is. And he does that through us. When we talk about glorifying God, this is what we mean. 
We mean that we're displaying how good God is, how kind God is, how God can take our brokenness and turn it into something beautiful. All of those things are displays in the supernatural world where it's kind of like God is looking at his enemies, the demons and the devil, and going, neener, neener, neener. Look what I can do with these beings that, that you have no respect for. That's what he, the supernatural, those entities have no, they hate you. And God uses you to demonstrate how amazing he is. But notice what Paul's doing. Paul doesn't just say, hey, you're, you're displaying the goodness of God. He also gives us a key in how that display is strengthened and brightened and how it actually happens. Because at the end of the passage, he says, uh, because of Christ, our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I want you to see that the display of God's glory is rooted in time spent in God's presence. Right? That's... That's what the worship's about, declaring Jesus is Lord over this moment. It's about resting and nestling in and stepping into and standing in the presence of God. And here's Paul saying, you can boldly come into the presence of God. Now, I, I realize that is a, man, it's a, it's a hard thing to understand what I just said. Michael, how do I come into the presence of God? And how does that help me with my life and parenting and, and grandkids and, and retirement and all those kinds of things? Moving yourself into the presence of God is moving into that moment of lordship. Jesus is Lord over this moment. It puts you in a place of receiving rather than giving We need to look at worship that way. And here Paul is saying, come boldly into the, the, the presence of the Father. Because in the presence, you receive what? The Father. The Father. Do you remember Jesus? Back to communion. This is my body. Take, eat. It's broken for you. He's nourishing us off of his body. You should read John 6. Not right now. I've given you enough to blow your mind with today. <clears throat> I'm just telling you guys, we have a mission. The mission is to declare the glory of God. Not just to your neighbors, but to these evil beings of the darkness. Say, so Michael, that sounds weird. I know. I know. But you know what? Jesus said it was so. And Jesus put these words of Paul in the Scriptures so that you would know that the world you're living in is so much more than you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands. There's so much more going on. And you know what? You don't have to freak. You don't have to panic. You don't have to worry. I know, yes, these beings are all out to destroy you. They hate you. But it doesn't matter. You know why? Because you're the body of Christ. And Satan has already tried to destroy the body of Christ, and all he did was disperse the body of Christ. And that's all he will do going forward. No matter what comes upon the churches in America, and it's already been a rough year, statistics are showing us that about 30% of the church is still around. The rest of it is, is out there somewhere. Every, all churches in America are running about 30% of what they were pre-COVID. That, that, 
The scattering has occurred. But it's time for us to realize we still have a mission. We're still the body of Christ. And just because we're scattered, not only does it not slow us down, it makes us a much larger problem for the enemy. It makes us a much brighter light in this world. I did a a little research on the idea of light, and I wondered if there was a lighthouse in Wyoming. Michael, you wonder dumb things. Totally okay with that. You're not going to believe this, but there isn't. No lighthouse in Wyoming. Apparently there are no reefs that need to be shined light upon and no ships to be slowed down. And so the idea of a lighthouse in Wyoming is actually a dumb idea. But the idea of campfires and bonfires... We love our fires in Wyoming, don't we? I, I, I live in a house built by Alan Smith, and I love him. I hope he's watching right now. The coolest pyromaniac I've ever met in my life is Alan Smith. <laughs> that guy can do a bonfire that will scare people away. My point is this. I, I, we, ordinary faith, cannot light the state of Wyoming as a beacon. But we can light the state as campfires and bonfires. We can spread and scatter and share Jesus in our state, in our community, and in the western region. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like Christmas lights. Christmas lights have gotten better over the years, but I'm going to back up about 20 years to back when Christmas lights were terrible. And some of you may not remember this, but some of you will. And you'll remember, you get out that, you you buy a new string of Christmas lights one year, and even then you weren't guaranteed to have lights that worked on the Christmas tree, you know, on the light. But you get them out, and back then you couldn't just run, you know, people were more broke back then where I come from anyway, and so you couldn't just get a bunch of lights. But anyway, so you get out, you start grabbing out the lights. At my mom's house, she had these multicolored lights, and they had plastic shields on them, and they were made out of cuckleburrs or something. I mean, they hurt you when you grabbed them. But you get them out, one light goes out, half the string goes out, or the whole string goes out, you got to find it. But anyway, you get them out, and you got, you got half a string lit, you got this one over here, the whole string's working, but several of them are flickering, and they're not supposed to flicker. And you got a whole box of these lights. Oh, and by the way, they're all wound up in this giant knot of a ball that you can never untangle. Yeah, it's like elves snuck into the attic and twisting them up over the summer. It's weird. Because every fall, every winter, at the end of Christmas, you're like, well, this isn't happening next year, and it happens every year. But you, you want... You want to, to decorate. You want to display Christ. It's Christmas. And, it's, and Jesus is born. And that's what, that's what decorating is about, right? It's celebrating what God has done. And so you get out the lights and you start working with this string that's half lit. And you start looking for the one that's not working in that string. And the ones that are flickering. And pretty soon you take all those messed up Christmas lights and you decorate your house with them. And then somebody in their car with their kids is driving by. And whether they know it or not... They're honoring Jesus as Lord because of your decoration. What does that have to do with the church? You're the light of the world. Some of you flicker. Some of you are red lights. Some of you are blue lights. Some of you aren't burning at all. But you're on the string and we ain't letting you go. 
I think Jesus would have liked the Christmas light analogy. The one he used was about a vine in John 15. And told us we had to stay connected to the vine and we would bear fruit. And I, it's time we as believers in Christ in this day and age, we have to realize that God wants to bear fruit through us. We are light. So yes, Jesus is Lord over this moment and everyone you can declare Him Lord over this week. Who's your people? Who around you will sacrifice with you? Who would you sacrifice for? And then, Jesus' mission is to show the goodness and the glory of God in your broken life. And it's okay that you're broken. In fact, it's beautiful that you're broken. And that's how you get to a house of miracles. Those are the ingredients, if you will. So I'm going to go long today. I'm, I am not sorry, actually. If, but if you need to go, I understand, and I will not judge you. But we, there's two more things we need to do before we go. One, one, you need to hear a story. And two, we need to worship. So I'm going to ask Justin and Angela if they come up right now. Hey, I'm going to need a microphone. How about the white one? Boop, boop. <gasps> Better turn it on. Testing one, two, three. Can you make me sound cool like Stallone or something? Oh, there he is. Probably. I just wanted to be able to hear you. Yeah, that's fine. Here, I'll tell you what, take that one. All right. So I, I don't want to go too long, but at the same time... I, there's so many miracles in this house. So Justin and Angela lead a small group out of their home. It's been on Sunday afternoons. Is it going to stay on Sunday afternoons? I think so. Okay. And they've had a heck of a year. And I know you're suddenly going, well, I've had a pretty rough year too. Angela, before we get into what just happened this last week, would you tell them about, the, about how the, the money over your last surgery and uh, how that was, just real quick, how much, how much was it was that medical bill? The medical bill for my last surgery was a little over $250,000. More in a car? Wow. Covering. So, so tell them what happened. Um, I have to have another surgery. And um, so I have to call and work out arrangements. 